0: Hello. Welcome, everyone. Uh, this is Kozla Islands podcast episode five. Uh, my name is Boris Mann. I'm the founder of uh, Fission and host of Kozla Islands. And we are building a second brain with subconscious and the founders, uh, Gordon and Chris. Hello, Gordon and Chris. Hello. Hey, so I realized one of the things that we talked about ahead of time, we've known each other for a while and talk about this a lot in this, uh, these labels of things of tools for thought and second brain. And, and of course, the, um, the episode is called Building a Second Brain. So can we get started maybe with just saying, what is subconscious? What is the second brain that you were building?
1: Yeah, certainly. So, uh, I guess subconscious is a tool for thinking together, and it's powered by a decentralized protocol that stores thoughts the way your brain does. I guess you could call it a tool for thought. We're sort of thinking of it as a literal second subconscious that you're building. You know, I think a lot of the uh, Aha. tools for thought space, yeah, they sort of focus on, you know, conscious thought. Um, and What Kahneman, I guess Daniel Kahneman would call like system two thinking, uh, but actually uh, probably the most powerful part of our mind is unconscious. And there's these sort of endless stories of artists and scientists sleeping on it and, and awaking with an answer. And so we wanted to sort of approach the, the tools for thought space with that attitude and, and something in that, that works a bit like that. Um, So notes go in, and with a combination of this decentralized knowledge graph and a little bit of AI, it uh, dreams up insights and connections and breakthroughs. Awesome.
0: Uh, And we've opened up the product versus protocol right away as well. Uh,
1: And the protocol that supports this, can you tell us a little bit about that? I guess here's what we could say about subconscious and the protocol. It's a little bit like uh, the difference between Gmail and IMAP. Right. So we're building a, a product called Subconscious. And at the same time, we're building this open protocol uh, called Newsphere. And now Newsphere is uh, completely open and permissionless. And it's also a pretty general purpose protocol. So we are hopeful that others will build on top of it as well. Uh, but the thing that it solves is basically building a sort of giant distributed thought graph. Uh, so I guess you could think of it as sort of what if uh, Rome or Notion but an open-ended protocol. Um, now, for me, uh, the reason why I started pulling on this thread is I, I love this space. I love Tools for Thought. Uh, but I've also, I've used over the years a number of them, uh, SaaS products. And some of them have gone out of business. And I ended up losing large chunks of my second brain when these SaaS products went out of business. So I felt like it was important to, to be able to own, uh, own your thoughts. And this is, for for a variety of reasons, a very difficult thing to do with the web as it works today. And to really sort of like hand ownership of data to the user, you kind of have to uh, rebuild parts of the stack. You end up having to build a protocol. And that's more or less what we've done, sort of created the the thinnest vertical slice of a knowledge graph protocol uh, that sort of guarantees you data ownership and credible exit.
2: Yeah, so um, maybe expanding a little bit on some of what Gordon just said. Uh, When I first talked to Gordon about the product that he was hoping to build uh, that eventually came to be known as Subconscious, we talked about a few different um, sort of underlying goals uh, for user data uh, within the product. And some of those included, as Gordon mentioned, credible exit, um, but also like local first, offline, multi-device editing, the ability to sort of craft durable links to content, and as we started to explore, um, you know, the different possible uh, tools we could bring to bear to achieve these goals, um, we started to uh, put together a set of protocols, a set of technologies that, you know, some of which were were pulled out of the uh, ecosystem, um, and some of which we sort of innovated on a little bit ourselves. Um, to enable the capabilities in subconscious um, while also preserving the qualities that we wanted in the protocol that were frankly not subconscious-specific and wouldn't really even have meaning if they weren't generalized enough for, for example, other tools to um, interoperate, implement and interoperate with.
0: Yeah, I mean, and uh, I realize that we're like, there's just a blizzard of terms here, but we're just going to keep moving and, annotate some notes after the fact. Um, so I think an unlock for me in, uh, so one being, uh, excited to, to use subconscious to be, uh, uh, a beta tester, um, in my own, uh, sort of 20 plus years of, uh, Blogging and notes and uh, and so on, it. So very very much resonate with a with a bunch of those terms. But an unlock for me was really the like, oh no, you can just use Newsphere for that. Uh, okay, Boris, if you you know um, are like uh, Logsec for a, a particular use case, but you're having some pains around sync and perhaps publishing, you can just use Newsphere for that. And I think that's one of the things that I want to uh, highlight that isn't. Necessarily clear for people. and so maybe maybe you you could respond to that about like that tension between product and protocol and where you're building subconscious right now as an iOS app uh, first, and maybe you could speak to that as well. Um, and then how you think about the protocol being interleaved into other products.
1: Yeah, that's true. Actually, this quality is very important to us, the ability to kind of build multiple products on top of the same data uh, for a couple reasons. One is I don't think that you really meaningfully own your data unless you can do something useful with it. Uh, like if you use a SaaS app today, I guess GDPR mandates that they give you some sort of export. But what that typically looks like is to this morass of custom JSON files. And to do better than this, I think we need something that's almost a little bit like the role that the file system played in the desktop operating system. So this is kind of interesting, actually. The the file system was like this shared pool of resources that every app could read from and write to. And uh, mobile operating systems don't really expose this in the same way, but it had this interesting consequence, which was uh, you could have multiple apps editing the same file. And I think this is very important because uh, from one, uh, I mean, on the one hand, uh, you want to own your data and and a file system sort of guarantees that. Uh, But even beyond that, I don't think any one tool can sort of imagine all of the the possible use cases that you might want to do, right? So this is pretty cool, actually. If you have the shared substrate that belongs to the user, then you can start to actually piece multiple apps together into workflows. Uh, For my money, this is actually why the desktop to this day remains like the sort of tool for professional work, uh, because (laughs) you can actually piece together those workflows. And and I I would actually kind of say the extent to which workflows embodied in the in a single app is sort of the extent to which it's commodity like it's uh, it's it's not really professional work as much as it is kind of like just a, a kind of consumer use case at that point so these are both really important to us like the ability to own your data and the ability to kind of have apps multiple apps build on top of it um, there is a, there's another term for this which is adversarial interoperability which is kind of this notion that if the user owns their data, uh, you can actually have interoperability emerge in retrospect. Like apps don't really have to agree on a format. Um, what what happens is actually through competition, you get uh, interops. So on the desktop, for example, Photoshop creates uh, the PSD, which is this proprietary format for images. Uh, but then all their competitors were like, well, we want to make it easy to switch. So we're going to reverse engineer PSD. And uh, eventually, PSD becomes a sort of de facto standard. And this is possible specifically because you have this data substrate that belongs exclusively to the user. Uh, The app can't tell the user no. Uh, So we wanted to kind of build a protocol that uh, was multiplayer, but still retained this quality. Uh, The web doesn't. The web has these kinds of like castle walls around each website, uh, preventing easy interoperability. But doing that was an interesting adventure. Uh, We had to kind of relitigate some of the the low-level security issues, I guess, of, of the web.
0: Right. And of course, the model, very much so in a browser context of where in a SaaS product, you maybe have a couple of database rows that belong to you and how that's actually expressed to something that you can use elsewhere, you know, is API's Rather than um, more portable bits on it on disk. So, Chris, you know, hearing Gordon talk about that and your goals around the the protocol and other products on top. Who do you want as a builder, as a developer, to get excited about building on top of NewSphere?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. You know, I, I've been working in open source for a long time, and I have to say. You know, there's always a delicate balance to be struck when you're trying to make something that's open source and freely available for everybody and also re implementable in lots of different uh, contexts while also trying to build a product or like an overarching theme of uh, subconscious's efforts. Um, I like to say that, you know, we are essentially building a protocol in support of a product and the product's right. requirements um, and its capabilities really govern the direction of the protocol. And the protocol is uh, open source and, you know, open to feedback and contributions from literally everybody. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, um, its its capabilities really do have to be in service of the product that we're right. building. And to some degree, um, especially in these early days when the product is still, you know, still a work in progress, even though it is quite featureful at this point. Uh, that means that we kind of have uh, uh, moments where we have to make significant breaking changes. Um, APIs uh, may be considered rather unstable, although uh, as, as a matter of just like general trajectory of the work, uh, the actual capabilities of the protocol don't necessarily change. Um, I would say like in these early days, that means folks who are involved and who you know want to either contribute to the protocol directly or make use of it have to kind of have a tolerance for right. uh you know radioactivity in the API. <laughs> um here there sorry. be
0: here there be gremlins. It might yes. eat your lunch. Um, um we're we're talking about long term durable storage of thoughts, but right now maybe keep a copy of those markdown files in a separate folder too.
2: Yes. And we try at, you know, and Gordon can back me up on this, we try to, you know, keep in our minds at any moment of, you know, your breaking change that there are you know people who may be affected by these even though their number may be small in these early days and I wanna also just uh, copy out all of this by saying that we want um any and every interested person who wants to contribute even just by way of giving feedback in our discord to do so and we do basically read everything everybody writes there and on GitHub and and talk about it amongst ourselves and, and in public with them. So,
0: Great. We've got a couple of questions in here. I know uh, I have said to you all, um, so the, and the, uh, so Subconscious is the product. It's an iOS app. Uh, we'll get back to that in a second and let Gordon rip. But sticking with NewSphere, the NewSphere implementation, I run it on my desktop. It's a command line tool. What's that called?
2: Yeah, let me talk about Orb for a second. So Newsphere um, is integrated into Subconscious, the app, via um, our uh, Rust crate, which can be built as a static library that can be linked to any C, C++ uh, compatible binary you may have. But we do have a reference client that we distribute that works out of the box that you can run on any command line uh, on. Linux, if you want to use our pre-built binary, or it also works on Mac OS um, and Windows, if you are willing to build it yourself. And you can get uh, that utility on our uh, GitHub page, github.com slash subconscious network slash newsphere. Yeah. So the, on the releases page, you can find pre-built Linux binaries there. But it's pretty straightforward to build it yourself. If you're handy on the command line, there's documentation for doing this um, in the uh, GitHub project. And, and it's and, called Orb.
0: The the actual yeah. uh, tool implementation that that I would be using would be yeah. Orb.
2: And it works very similarly to Git um, in terms of um, how you might think about what your how your mental model might work for approaching uh, reading and writing data. Uh, you essentially create a workspace where you can write files to your file system, save them to uh, your sphere data model. Um, and then uh, if you happen to be in the closed beta today, you can actually authorize this client to access the same data that you are saving in our um, managed infrastructure context and think back and forth between the subconscious app and this command line client so you know people on our team and i i think this might also be true of you boris uh use this yeah. workflow to essentially use you know bring whatever text editor they want uh to the table to uh work on their subconscious notebooks and and think back and forth with the ios app
0: awesome yeah, there's there's some there's some there's some layering there. Um, so I'll I'll just actually uh, uh, mention uh, uh, Brent's question here. If I wanted to incorporate NewSphere's Rust crate into uh, uh, another language ecosystem, is there anything else that we should like take into account?
2: We try to include our FFI bindings um, in you know Go for when we consider how versions change. So the one thing I'll say up front is. Ah, uh, if you see a minor version change in our Rust crate, uh, that will that will give you um, you know the ability to assume that the FFI bindings did not break in any way across that version change. Um, and then, of course, if you see a major uh, version bump, you might want to check the change log just to make sure that the FFI bindings stayed the same. As far as considerations are concerned, I mean, if you're familiar with Rust, you know, obviously you get uh, certain guarantees around memory safety and and other things. Once you uh, kind of cross, go cross into other the territory of other languages, there's a certain amount of responsibility on the caller to retain pointers and to free them um, at the appropriate time. So, yeah, I, I'd say it, it, to some extent, this is standard uh, cross-language uh, integration consideration. Um, I will say
1: the... Um... The Swift integration, so we use Swift on um, the iOS app, and, and that means we're basically integrating this Rust crate with another language. And the wrapper that we ended up writing for the Rust crate was uh, like a couple hundred lines of code, maybe a little less. Um, so it's fairly approachable. I'd say it's sort of on par with embedding something like SQLite.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good pointer, and it it, it you know including the like it's kind of like Git. So let's let's say for the record is that NewSphere, we, we, we put a couple of different high-level labels, this connected knowledge graph. We've said things like Git. Guess what? It's a syncable file system um, because that's what we've said we need for interop. So you can, you know, edit text files you um, and, and use that in other systems. Again, um, subconscious is going to read and write a certain uh, format. Uh, speaking for myself, I have this unholy workflow of getting stuff to work on mobile, um, where I run a working copy git client on my mobile devices in order to sync. And that's not purely, you know, idealism or masochism. It's just that I like there isn't any other way to do multiplayer sync. Uh, And it works in quotation marks. But I'm, you know, this is one of the reasons I'm very excited about Newsphere uh, as this substrate. And so we've got this file system. We've got syncing, mm, asterisk multiplayer, and some, like, knowledge and, and durable linking, which I think is interesting. And uh, bouncing back up to the product layer um, and to a comment here from, uh, uh, from Nick is, but wait, AI. So we've got some notes. Uh, they can connect to things, and we've got an iOS app that's with us at all times. Uh, we've got some fun competition happening with with Apple releasing Journal, maybe. So, how do you think about me using Subconscious in my pocket?
1: Yeah, specifically wow, with AI. A, a lot <laughs> to unpack there. Yeah. Um. Let's see. We could talk about this in terms of, you know, sharing layers between protocols and products. We could talk about uh, what subconscious the product looks like and how we think about AI. Um, which which of these paths do we want to go down? I, I think AI, and I,
0: you know, will agree to just use that as a term right now um sure. there's a big bucket of stuff that's happening. Um yeah. I think that's an interesting one, you know, uh I, I talked about my 20 years of notes and and uh, and some of the people I've been on this 20 year long journey with. I've always wanted tools to introspect that stack of notes to yeah. help tell me what I'm thinking. So how do you think about AI plus subconscious? Um maybe a maybe you know, initially when you got started and then like in the today of Uh, The waning days of 2023.
1: Yeah, that's great. Well, I guess, you know, like you, I have, oh my goodness, more than a decade now of pretty dense notes. And at first, this started as a coping mechanism for ADHD. Uh, but eventually, it grew snaps, into snaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's like a, it's literally it's a kind of cognitive prosthetic. It's what keeps me functional. You know, if I were on the savannah and you know we were we were hunting big game together, probably that little cognitive quirk wouldn't cost me anything. But I live in the modern world, and everyone requires me to be very punctual and organized, and to sort of keep things on track. And and the way that I adapted. To kind of cope with this is writing a lot of notes because uh, my memory is bad, and uh, it turned out there's just a lot of good stuff in ten years of notes. I started, you know, sort of I guess the kernel of subconscious when I started noodling on this idea two two and a half years ago, maybe. You know, I started noodling on these kind of uh, simple algorithms to try to find patterns within my notes and reflect them back to me. And also to kind of give my notes a chance to think back. Like we call these things second brains, tools for thought, like Notion or Roam. But largely, the way we use them is we sort of create a note and we lob it into the void, and we never really see it again unless we think to search for it. But actually, this is—it's a really interesting uh, kind of collection of 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 information because it's everything that matters to me. In, in a pile, and I, I kind of want to know what it has to say to me. So in the beginning, I was sort of, this is before GPT even, probably around when they were building GPT-1, I was just kind of noodling with some very, very simple algorithmic uh, kind of filters and generative algorithms to reflect insights back to me, to ask me questions, to find connections. Uh, then GPT happens, and <laughs> All of a sudden, this idea of like, what if my notebook were enchanted with a little agent kind of gets multiplied by by 100. And at at first, I'm kind of like holding my breath because I'm like, okay, this one company invented this crazy new technology and it seems like they have a lock on the future. But then all these open source models start to emerge, yeah. And so you know all this stuff is changing really quickly. But I would say that uh, I'm I'm going to bet that in 2024 we see the emergence of on-device inference. Um, you know Google already announced it. I will be shocked if Apple doesn't ship something. So we're we're quickly tumbling into this world where these models uh, they're both high quality open sourced uh, models that you can run in the cloud. And there are probably going to be some on-device models that you can run as well. Um, So from a a sort of, I guess, design perspective, uh, here's how I see AI. I, I think it's often conceptualized as a sort of big brain, that you ask questions, and it's supposed to give you back factual answers. Like this is kind of the, um, maybe the Hollywood picture of AI is that it's some sort of like big brain god that you ask questions of and it it delivers the answer. I actually don't think that this is a good description of what LLMs are at all. It actually, if you look at the papers, LLMs seem to simulate reasoning by reaching for a bunch of pre-baked reasoning-like behavior that's in their training data. And so Stephen Wolfram, who's a sort of AI research, researcher, he's sort of observed that they're actually computationally shallow. You shouldn't think of what they're doing as reasoning. It's more like they're free associating. <laughs> and I, sort of, I took a look at this and I was like, oh, my gosh, like an LMS. Draw that is-
0: talk to yourself. Uh. Yes.
1: It's, it's not <laughs> artificial intelligence. It's artificial intuition. And I think this is actually a really big deal because computers have been able to do formal reasoning from the very beginning. But the thing that they've been very bad at is that sort of fast, loose, system one kind of intuitive, fuzzy thinking that is actually really key for creative breakthroughs. And it's not about finding facts. It's like we shouldn't think of them as hallucinating. They're, they're dreaming. Like we basically taught computers to sort of generate creative insights. So this is kind of the, I guess, the design approach that we're taking to LLMs is let's take uh, all of those insights that you've been jotting down and start to use things like embeddings to look for associations, uh, maybe ideas that are connected, um, maybe reflect them back to you with questions. Now, I'm a lot less interested in the AI thinking for me a lot, and I'm a lot less interested in prompting the AI. I actually kind of want the AI to prompt me uh, right. to kind of be my second subconscious.
0: You know, taking it back to, I think, the uh, Apple Journal and devices and ownership, I think is an interesting direction as a baseline with subconscious as product powered by NuSphere. You know, even just that syncing means that enterprising people could in fact run all sorts of models on their much more powerful desktops over the same uh, corpus so that that unblocks experimentation and and but very little of those again without boris man trademark working copy ios highly complicated git workflows could unlock that also having it in your pocket so subconscious the product that you take notes on, that's always with you. Let's let's talk about that again. Um, you know, Rome or Notion are started as 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 web SaaS products, and they have some mobile. You've written in Swift on top of powered by Nosphere and you're situated Which I have on mixed iOS. Feelings
1: about by the way, yeah, yeah iOS Please. for me was not a <laughs> it's not a natural fit. Like both Chris and I are deep deep web guys. Uh, we. Chris worked at, at Cloudflare. We both worked on Chrome. I worked on, uh, on Firefox at Mozilla. Like, we know the web deeply, and we love it. So building mobile first was not, it was, it was a hard to swallow pill. But I felt, well, a couple things about this. One is, uh, I don't know how this is for you, but I felt like the experience of using a tool like Notion or Rome or Obsidian on mobile was not that great. And I don't think the barrier here is necessarily technological. I think it's uh, very difficult to take a product that has been imagined for desktop first yeah. Yeah. and then shrink it down. Uh, whereas conversely, starting with mobile and then growing up tends to work a little bit better. I think in general, like you can't starve an ele- elephant to get a mouse. Um, it's just a, it's, it's a difficult thing to do. So that was one reason we decided to go this direction. And another was that I feel like the notebook you have with you is, is the best notebook. I, you know, I in a, in a sense, I think you're not competing with something like Rome so much as you're competing with Apple Notes. Like this is the dark matter of tools for thought. It's, everyone does it, and no one talks about it. No one even conceives of it as a tool for thought. But you know, I I think that actually in some ways these these sort of notebooks that ship with your phone, they're they, they underserved. They're not that great. And even Apple is starting to recognize it. You know, they're they're building this journal app. Uh, to me, this says a couple things. One, that tools for thought are going mainstream. And right. two, that, yeah. that some of the big players like Google and Apple have finally kind of wrapped their heads around that like it's more than just a to do sticky notes, right? But yeah, anyway, this is, uh, this is why we decided to go mobile. I think, you know, it's, it's been difficult in some ways. It's, I, I, I chafe a little bit at, like, the Apple ecosystem. Uh, but I gotta say, the, the results are good. It's really nice to have an app that feels good uh, on device because it was designed for the device to begin with. I think it also forced early on some really meaningful decisions. Like, we wrote the protocol stack in Rust, And and a lot of decentralized protocols end up being written in JavaScript, which kind of means they can run in a browser, but it's very difficult to run them anywhere else. Uh, By contrast, Newsphere can kind of run anywhere, because you can compile it for native. And it has C bindings, so it can sort of interface with any language. And you can also compile it for web and run it as a WebAssembly plop. So it has this nice kind of portability.
2: Uh, I, I just wanted to also add, uh, you know, kind of in the theme of mobile being the edge that we use to hone our focus, we are pretty um, heavily integrated with a lot of technologies that are associated with the IPFS ecosystem, but we don't embed a full-fledged IPFS implementation in our app. And in fact, our entire protocol has sort of been structured around the assumption that it only includes the bare minimum um, set of technologies to be interoperable with that ecosystem and and we probably wouldn't have had that kind of focus on um, you know keeping it lightweight and keeping it very fast right uh, if, if we hadn't started uh, from this position of well it needs absolutely needs to run on a mobile phone and it has to yeah. run well enough that nobody can tell that there's all of this kind of decentralized magic under the hood
0: can't, can't be draining your battery, can't fail to load things. Uh, exactly. I'm very excited about, I continue to be excited about new sphere uh, and subconscious in the context of, uh, like I said, I like selfishly as me, I don't have a lot of choices. I was giving some feedback to someone who had done a trick where I'm like, oh yeah, I tried that before, stick- Logsec in your iCloud Drive, and then you quickly find out that because it wasn't really designed to work with some of the quirks of iCloud Drive and how it syncs, or rather doesn't, you're gonna get data loss, and that's not really gonna work. Damn it! Mm-hmm. This is an that's yeah. an integrated platform, and one of the things I've been saying is that we need some primitives that are protocols, not apps. And a lot of those are are some of those things that 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 Apple gives in its integrated platform, but you can't really reuse elsewhere. So merely new sphere as sync as a building block that can work on mobile and can work on web, super exciting.
1: Yeah, I think that's worth calling out too. It's it's extraordinarily difficult to do both ownership of your own data and multiplayer, and I think all these sharp edges that you're running into are sort of the invisible asymptotic limits that you hit when you try to get both. Uh, like it often manifests as sync conflicts or inability yeah. to like easily share with other people. And, and, all, and let's far and as let's as just
0: define call. for a second because because Gordon, yeah. you you and I have a comfortable shared context around multiplayer, and we've actually been called out on this before, where literally multiplayer starts with me and my laptop as two players. Um, that is true. Um, so, yeah. so anyone who is listening to this, we don't necessarily mean moving cursors at the same time in some shared environment or something where you're typing over each other. We're talking about, about the back and forth of starting with Two devices of the same person, one. Um, and from there, moving into um, multiple humans with multiple devices. Not uh, mostly async. Is that a, a exactly decent
1: right. multiplayer? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, this is sort of like as engineers, we like to try to boil problems down to some sort of like the simplest case, right? So in the simplest sort of most abstract case, multiplayer means more than one thing, right? So that could mean you have a phone and a <laughs> laptop, or it can mean I have a phone and Boris has a phone. Uh, and it, that, you know, conceptually can scale all the way to like multiple cursors in the same document, like a Google Doc. Uh, I think Regardless of where on that spectrum you fall, you end up having to solve most of the same key problems. Um, So one of those key problems is sync. Uh, Anytime you have more than one copy of something, you're going to run into the problem of having to reconcile differences between those copies. And this is a deceptively difficult thing to do. Like uh, to your point, Boris, even iCloud chokes on this many, many times. There are some answers to this question. Uh, And I would say that, you know, the number of answers that work are pretty short uh, and not that easy to engineer. (laughs) And so, you know, if you're tackling this problem, you probably want to lean into existing pretty rigorously researched answers. Uh, So you want to probably model yourself off of maybe a system like Git, which is what we've done, or use a technology like CRDTs or some of both. In any case, Sync. Sync is one of the big ones. Another one, if you're talking about uh, multiplayer with multiple humans especially is uh, security and privacy like mm. anytime there's more than one human player you are now in an adversarial environment this is what you should assume anyway if you're designing a protocol because there are bad guys out there right who want to mess with your stuff and uh, and so there are a number of challenges uh, to solve when it comes to you know security and privacy in a multiplayer context um, the web, has a set of answers for this. And the its answer to every security and privacy problem is to basically put a wall around uh, what's called the origin, which is basically the domain name that the data comes from. Uh, so this right. is, we call this like a castle wall kind of security model. The challenge is that sort of baked in with that assumption is lock-in. Uh, so if you are pulling data from facebook.com, Uh, It is literally impossible for Facebook to interop with other websites even if they, you know, wanted to. Uh, Because that's uh, another way of looking at that is that it's a security vulnerability, a privacy vulnerability. To do better, you actually have to, yeah, the tyranny of origins, yeah, exactly. Um, To do better than this sort of feudal castle wall approach to security, you actually kind of need to reimagine security. And in zero-trust networking, the basic idea is you root uh, security in individual users rather than sort of drawing these arbitrary lines around origins. Uh, Why does this matter? Uh, The reason it matters is if you kind of root security in individual users who can freely associate with each other, then users actually are able to own their data and freely choose where that data goes. Um, So this is one of the things that we had to tackle with Newsphere. It's a... Frustratingly painful problem to solve because we've been building on this web stack now for what 30, 40 years. And this is one of the deepest assumptions the web has that everything is sort of secured with a castle wall. And the funny thing is that the app stores went and they they just copied what the web did. So, uh, you know, content is sandbox to origins, it's also sandboxed to apps. So, apps have this exact same interoperability problem on. on Uh, iOS and Android. Um, So, you know, I think you use something like Notion or Roam or or even to some degree Obsidian or LogSec, they do better because you can get your files. But once you start talking about multiplayer, uh, you're going to have to probably do that through a SaaS context, which is locked in. Um, And the only way to really get both ownership and multiplayer is to reimagine the protocol layer. Uh, which, for our sins, we decided to do. So here right. we are.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Like this is, um, this is not a lark. It is looking around and saying, I don't see anything. It needs to be a protocol. Yes, we want to build a product, but we hold these principles. And and to your point about your background with web and everything else like that, you're building a product. It needs to uh, iterate. Uh, in a market in in mobile that that expects a certain pace um, and a protocol
1: why (laughs) I ask myself that every day (laughs) I think it is an interesting challenge to try to build a product that is fun to use and that people love and at the same time build a protocol which is infrastructure and a lot of heavy lifting engineering I am Deeply grateful that Chris is my co-founder, and I'm also deeply grateful that we have a number of heavy lifter engineers who are working with us on this problem. Brilliant people. I would be completely at sea if I were on my own. Yeah, I guess here's here's how I think about this. And, and the reason I think this is such a challenge to build both a product and a protocol is um, that they sort of live in different temporal zones, like different time zones. Stuart Brand... Uh, who is this uh, thinker, I guess, systems thinker, he has this nice mental framework that he calls pace layering. And he points out that most systems tend to kind of sort themselves into multiple layers. He calls them shearing layers. You can almost visualize this as like concentric circles and the outer circles are moving faster. Some of the um, circles that he points to in most human systems Starting from the top, the sort of fastest base layer would be fashion. Like we end up having sort of cyclical or or new fashions every, I don't know, year or couple years. Uh, Maybe underneath that is commerce. Uh, So I would say that that's where a product lives, you know, buying and selling, trading, making deals. This is commerce. Uh, This is a product. But underneath all of that is infrastructure. Like products don't exist in a vacuum, they actually need infrastructure to run. And in the technological world, this includes things like, uh, you know, DNS, the literal cable that runs through the ground that connects us all up over the internet, uh, as well as protocols. In the outside of tech, uh, an example of infrastructure might be the laws that we use to organize society.
0: Even we drive lower, on the we... right-hand
1: side of the road or the left-hand side yeah, of the road. Yeah, right side of the road. Yeah, exactly. Kind, kind yeah. of important. Even... Yeah, <laughs> low, lower than that, we have things like governance, culture, and then ultimately, you know, nature. Because we're, at some level, just a, a little, you know, sort of fuzzy thing that is just growing on on top of the surface of this giant thing called the planet, Right. So you want you want
0: um you've talked about this commerce layer and the protocol layer is lower down. Uh so I guess that's also where kind of multiple products come from, either you or from others. I think that's very interesting in thinking about uh so kind of in the same way that we have multiple browsers.
1: Yeah, exactly. Or the way that HTTP has outlived any one of those browsers. So, you know, we had Tim Berners-Lee's browser, which the first browser, which doesn't exist anymore, and then we had Netscape, and then Netscape became Firefox, and we had IE, and IE is gone, and now we have you know uh, Chrome, and Firefox is still around, and we have Edge, and we have you know Opera, and so you know at the commerce layer, apps come and go, Uh, but lower down you have the the infrastructure layer, the protocols, and the ones that survive tend to survive a very long time you know, infrastructure often outlasts, uh, uh many other things uh, you can still point to Roman aqueducts, right. That are, that are functioning to this day. That's infrastructure. Right. It, it literally outlived, uh, a civilization in that case. Um, so here's why this is important to me. I, I feel like if you're doing a, I don't know, social Twitter, let's say I, I I'm like a Twitter addict, very silly, especially these days. Um, I don't think Twitter's going to be around in another couple of years, or at least I think the risk that it's not is is pretty great. Um, you know, I used MySpace at one time because I'm an elder millennial, and that's gone. <laughs> um, these things they come and go, and in in a lot of cases, it's sort of okay. You know, like I'm okay if my tweets disappear forever. I'm not going to shed too many tears. They're not that important in the grand scheme of things. They're they're at the fashion layer or maybe the commerce layer. Um, but my thoughts. You know, like my thoughts, actually, this is sort of something that's deeper and more important to me. I I have, you know, at least 10 years of notes for me, they they make up a lot of my memory. You know, I mentioned I have ADHD. I don't have a good memory. So it's a piece of me. And I, I really think that we want our thoughts to exist at a lower, slower pace layer that outlasts any individual, you know, sort of flavor of the month SaaS product. And I include what we're doing in that category, right? Like, Subconscious, I think, is going to be a great app. And it's going to hopefully last a very long time. Uh, But every commercial product has a natural lifespan. Who who knows? I kind of think maybe text files, uh, maybe HTTP, these things could last a very, very long time. And in fact, they already have.
2: I'll I'll also just add, uh, you know, here in 2023, in some ways, we're extremely spoiled for choice if what we just want is a really nice text editing and note-taking experience on our platform of choice. right? Um, you know, like Roam and Obsidian, or if you use VS Code, or even if you use command line tools like Vim or Emacs, and there's Notion, and there's all of these products that are coming out from Google and Apple. Um, if if uh, those products suit your use case and you don't find yourself thinking like, oh, well, I can't really link to this Apple note from my Google Keep and have these things sort of like connect to each other, um, you've got a lot of great options. We're trying to build something that essentially checks a box or scratches an itch that we just don't see being checked or scratched by anything else at this point. You know, we're building a wonderful product in the form of subconscious to go along with it. Um, but it wouldn't be as satisfying to build it if it didn't also have this component of, you know, credible yes. exit and, and sort of uh, plurality of access to, to the data.
0: Right, and I think, I think like, let's go through the layers. My own multiplayer usage of having access to my stuff with multiple different tools. Secondarily, uh, adding other humans to the mix, uh, and AI companions, and then the sphere, because that's what the name is, uh, a web or sphere of interlinked documents and, and this word knowledge graph. And I think that's what we all kind of, who are interested in this space, uh, see one way or another. Some of it can uh, go all the way to, hey, let's mess around with syntax when I'm uh, typing or dictating or uh, hallucinating with a friend. But then the other part is the like, well, the web's not quite going to work for this how do we create graph-like structures at scale with many other people? So I just, I want to highlight that because it's like, no, no. That's the piece that none of those other things have at all. And it means uh, some work in the rules of the road of, of connecting into this new sphere, which is exciting. There's a question here from G, um that I think... Uh, is going to be a little of a right angle term, but bear with me. I think it's it's good. So if we think about just notes or just markdown or something you can edit with Emacs, is a question that basically says, how do you think about supporting knowledge in the form of computation? So documents that okay. combine reactivity, you know, this is another thing that we don't see very widely in, in a lot of uh, tools for thought today.
1: Uh, I have two answers to this, one for the protocol and one for the app we're building. So on the protocol side, uh, Newsphere is actually a very open-ended protocol. You could think of it as a kind of envelope format, and you can put anything in the envelope that you want. So you could put Markdown in there, you could put images in there, you could put JavaScript in there. Um, And actually the the structure of uh, Newsphere the graph itself is made up of these nodes called memos, which are these envelopes. And it's very similar to uh, a packet or an HTTP response. It basically has some key value headers and then a body part, which is like any content that you want. And it supports whatever type of content you like as well. What, what kind of uh, content can go in Newsphere? Uh, certainly, uh, Turing complete scripting can go in Newsphere. Then you have to execute it somehow. Uh, so that, I guess that brings us to clients and how, how you want to actually like evaluate this content. Now, in subconscious itself, uh, I wanted to do something kind of interesting with the way we, we tackle this problem. So on the web, uh, every page is a mixture of, I guess you could call it dumb data and live Turing uh, complete scripting, JavaScript. And the web is very power, powerful because it mixes these two things together, which kind of makes every page uh, kind of like a mini app. Uh, but there is, I think, a cost to this power, which is now you have a security problem on your hands, because a Turing complete language can literally do anything. like That's the definition, including bad things. And that means you have to trap the genie in a bottle. You have to actually trap these, these pages inside of a sandbox. And this is what a lot of what browsers are doing for you sort of keeping those pages safe. This is actually you know normally fine, but what it means is that uh, pages outside of the you know same origin, they can't really communicate with each other. If they could, it suddenly becomes possible to do all sorts of nefarious things. Uh, we call this a cross-site scripting attack. So for subconscious, I wanted to kind of like look at this and maybe approach it with a twist. So uh, our app, as opposed to the protocol, kind of makes a hard distinction between data and scripting. So on the one hand, we have a format that we call subtext, which I guess you could think of as a kind of block, block editor semantics version of Markdown. It's like similar to Markdown, but it's sort of chunked up into nice little blocks. And that is just data. Uh, you, you're free to reference uh, you know, all sorts of uh, documents from subtext. Uh, but it's it's just a note. On the other hand, uh, we have uh, scripting, and so sort of what we've thought of as scripting in the subconscious world is uh, something a little bit like a bot. It's basically a function that can read some part of the graph and then publish a new graph. And these bots are, are bots are people too <laughs> in subconscious. You can follow people. Right. You can follow bots and they're both sort of um, part of your web of trust if you choose to follow them. Uh, So that's kind of how we've approached the the scripting uh, question in subconscious. Now that said, I think I want to reiterate Newsphere actually doesn't have an opinion about this. If you wanted to bring your own app, like let's say you wanted to plug Newsphere into a Jupyter notebook, Uh, You could certainly do this, and it would be no problem at all to load up a JavaScript file and run it in a particular context of your choice. And I think we'll probably see a lot of answers to this question as we see uh, other apps built on top of Newsphere.
0: Yeah, right. So as an example, let's underline this. Remember, Newsphere has the web in its sites. So HTTPS and we can also think of uh, uh, protocols gone by, like Gopher or Gem- Gemini. It has different trade-offs of what it's trying to do. Uh, but that does mean that you can put anything inside of it. In Inside, uh, uh, memos are the nodes. So rather than an HTML uh, page or response, you've got nodes. And so you could have inside of that uh, subtext, which is what subconscious natively reads and writes. Or it could be JavaScript, or it could be... Logsec flavored JSON, or as uh, as uh, Teleris has said in the comments, TiddlyWiki Tiddlers could be yeah, the, the substrate. Um, oh, so could a, a node as well. Could in fact also be a Wasm blob.
1: Oh yes, certainly. And actually, an area of research I'm very excited about that Fission is working on is the idea of hosting is, as I understand it, Wasm blobs on IPFS and then uh, executing them in ways that are that have certain security guarantees. Am I getting this right, Boris? Maybe you could talk a little bit about this.
0: <laughs> yeah, thanks. And uh, thanks for the the fan shout, shout out. So IPVM, or the Interplanetary Virtual Machine, um, is the protocol for decentralized computation with content addressing. And uh, Fission is in the midst of uh, launching and making available the everywhere computer. Um, So much like uh, subconscious is the app, a new sphere is the protocol everywhere. Computer is our platform and IPVM is the protocol that anyone can implement. And we're focusing on content addressed wasm that can run everywhere, whether that's in your browser or, you know, executed a thousand times by servers that you and your friends use or, or elsewhere. And uh, yeah, what I'm excited about with, um as things get clearer for us, um, and we focus on this as the prime purpose of fission, is leaning into other friendly protocols like Newsphere and saying, great, go over there if you want sync.
1: I love um, that. I, I, yeah, I was gonna say I, I I'm really excited about the the sort of ambient interoperability that you get for free with content addressing. And and under the hood, uh, Newsphere uses content addressing. Uh, Actually, we sort of layer a decentralized name system on top based on on pet names. And we layer some, you know, self-sovereign cryptographic signing on top to enable uh, you to have like authorship via your public key and to enable things like end-to-end encryption in the fullness of time. But under the hood, it's, Content addresses, and that means that you're able to kind of uh, basically like freely mesh with anything else that is content addressed.
0: Yeah, I want to get to some end-end loops. Uh, so, as an example, can we um, take a particular chunk of uh, uh, subtext um, and have a IPVM function that transforms it into logsec flavored markdown? Um, and that's a really simplistic use case, but it's the kind of stuff where, like, I need it. Um, and I also think that um, for everyone listening around, um, Gordon and Boris are the dreaming, glorious future, and Chris is just going, can we make this stuff, like, can we lock down some releases and just get this working?
2: Yeah. Right, Chris? <laughs> can, we, can we build a, a notebook app? Is this possible? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: Um, Can we load a, a note at all? It turns out like the answer to this question is now yes. We're in yes. Uh, close uh <laughs> and it is, it is working, but the amount of uh, boulder pushing uh, uphill that we had to do was uh, not small. And I'm excited to see the boulder roll down the other side now.
0: Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm excited about this and as well in, um, in, 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 uh, uh, in actively working with this one idea that we've had as people look at the everywhere computer stuff, was was can you write me a small function that if I give it some data, it will output like a graphical um, sparkline as a PNG that I can just like embed in my blog? I'm like, mm-hmm. that's great, you know, uh, you know, and is that posting frequency based on timestamps of nodes that I put into my subconscious or something like that? Right? I'm like, that's that's a great scoped thing um that uh, that that we can do. Um we're hitting the top of the hour so what's next for subconscious? How do we get involved in the open beta? Uh how can we help? Um where do we go if we want to get involved in the protocol? So
1: Perfect. Well, I can talk about what's next for subconscious and then I'll hand it over to Chris to talk about the protocol. So what is next for subconscious? We're in a small closed beta at the moment as we sort of iron out, I guess, uh, some of the radioactive bits in protocol land and just gradually improve the product. Um, I'm I'm actually excited about where we are on the product side. I think the, the app uh, was a little bit samey for a while, but we've recently been able to land many of the features that we've been envisioning for a uh, a long time and I'll just sort of tease that the the product now feels a little bit like Tinder for ideas, which I'm pretty excited about, you know. So I guess you could say <laughs> it's a little bit like spaced repetition, but instead of being focused on memorization, which I feel is a bit boring, it's focused on, you know, creative generating creative insights, helping you find connections, helping you sort of organize your notes in an ambient way, and, and just generally causing your knowledge to self-organize from the bottom up. Um, so we're pretty excited about making headway on the closed beta and, um, and we're looking forward to an open beta before, I think, too long. Um, if anyone's interested on the call, I'd be happy to, uh, let's see, we can send over the subconscious wait list and we'll do our best to roll you into the beta period, uh, whether that means now during the closed beta or as we roll into a more open beta. Uh, Chris, what's next for Newsphere? Yeah, so we have a we're
2: embarking on some uh, pretty significant work uh, for NewSphere. One of the big ticket items for us in uh, the coming months is to support um, private uh, thinkable data across the users' devices um, and. Uh, If you're interested in getting involved in these topics uh, or just anything we've discussed in the podcast, then my first recommendation would be to come to our Discord and just chat with us there. But if you're uh, handy with code and you like GitHub, I definitely recommend our GitHub project. Um, You can file issues. You can read how to build the library for yourself. Um, And, you know, me and other folks on our team were always happy to talk to the community basically 24 seven directly. If you are trying to integrate new sphere, um, in your, in something you're building, or if you're just kind of curious about how certain aspects of it work, um, we love to talk about it. So, uh, please find us in discord.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I've dropped, I've dropped a link there. Um, uh, I'm saying this to you. Um, I have on my backlog and, and often, Uh, the holidays, the end of the year is, uh, traditionally for me been tinker with my notes and blogs time. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, um, working with orb, um, and, uh, and, and getting something up and running for, for that. Um, and I'm really looking forward for 2024. Uh, so, um, and I will say actually the subconscious discord is amazing, Uh, all discords have their own flavor, uh, Gordon and Chris and the rest of the subconscious team and, and really the participants, the community there is, is lovely. Um, and it's been really fun to be a part of that. So I definitely encourage that. Uh, the fission discord, uh, leans more, um, computer science futures, which is fun as well, but, uh, it's, it's been great to be part of that community and thank you for hosting, uh, that and, and thank you for coming and sharing today
1: thanks so much and yeah yeah, just to to reiterate we'd love to see any of you all on the subconscious discord and we've been really um i guess lucky to have a a very friendly and uh, helpful group of folks join us in this journey so please come along